My name is Ray Park, you may know me as playing Darth Maul in Phantom Menace, Bone Wars, and also Solo and Star Wars Story. You're listening to Star Wars Stuff Podcast, the force is strong with you all. And remember, sit walk. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, letting you all know you are listening to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Wishing everybody all the best. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. My name is David and I am joined by... Me? Robert? Hello there? (laughs) I'm alive! I made it! He's alive! Yeah, it was just uh, a tough road, but I'm back here talking Star Wars with you. That's the only thing that made me pull through. Just getting to talk Star Wars with you, David. (laughs) So awesome that uh, Robert is here with us talking star wars and yeah i just want to say publicly we were worried but we are so happy that you're healthy that you're reacting to stuff you're probably my favorite reactor on youtube and yeah i, I always look for your stuff all the time and it always pops up on my feed so i was on the thing. video and try and comment and uh yeah it, it's always a good time but uh it's even an even better time when you can come and co-host star stuff podcast so we've been off for a little while it's been kind of hectic um one of the reasons is the fact that there's going to be a huge comic-con in my backyard in san antonio texas and i was able to convince james to fly out from anaheim to join me because our friends at countdown city geek cast are going to have a booth there and ted from countdown city geek cast is actually going to moderate all the panels on or actually in the main expo floor, which is very close to our booth. And we might actually have an opportunity here to do some on-site interviews with Katie Sackhoff and Ming-Na Wen. Um, so we're hoping that happens. It's not a guarantee because they're extremely busy. They're both there for only one day for the con, and then they fly out. So Ming-Na Wen is going to be there this Saturday at the Comic-Con and Car Show in San Antonio. And then Katie will be there the next day on Sunday. And both will be doing panels moderated by Ted from Countdown City GeekCast. And we are super hyped. Um, Of course, we're going to have a booth there. I'm going to be doing a ton of giveaways. Every day, I'm going to be giving away a Kenner TIE Fighter. I think that's valued at at around $100. Um, Also, we have pops for Fennec Shand and Bo-Katan, as well as a Black Series that we're going to be doing trivia for, Um, not just outright giving them away. We're going to do some fun Star Wars trivia, and whoever gets the trivia correct uh, will win uh, either the pop or the Black Series. But um, if you've been following the podcast, trivia has a kind of a special place uh, for the podcast because that's how I met Colin in line at 2017 Star Wars Celebration. And um, if you know the story, that's it's uh, it, it's funny and it's um, it's just one of those pieces of connective tissue that brought the uh, podcast together. That uh, and I love trivia personally. I love doing it. So so hey, Maka is in the chat here. Um, he says, "Hey, glad you're okay, Robert." Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Everyone's well wishes. Everybody pulling together to 
pull me through. Um, and if you guys don't know what happened on my channel, late to the party, there's a whole video about what ended up happening that we, we don't have to keep going over it here, but, uh, yeah, like honestly, and when it came down to it, watching everybody else's content while I was there in the hospital for like two weeks, uh, star Wars stuff pod, like David, I've told you many times, you guys are one of my favorite star Wars channels. And in fact, the only Star Wars channel that I actually seek out to go on and watch actively. So uh, I appreciate all the content that you guys supplied, even if you weren't producing the backdated log of stuff to go back and watch is all there. And I appreciate you guys always being on top of it and educating me because I have no clue half the time what the hell's going on. Hence late to the party. So you are my, uh, my anchor, um, my, my new source that I trust. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Thank you so much. And you're going to so, educate me again right now. <laughs> so yeah, Mock is in the chat. Um, he is, of course, one of our top tier patrons that we love and appreciate. And I just want to give a shout out to them, like I always uh, try and do at the beginning of the episodes. Uh, so on the purple tier, we have Chris Simpson, Kevin Leininger, Devin McCaffrey, Drew Peters, Sean Greathouse, Zach Netzel, and Mariana Atia Arnold. On the red tier, we have Fenrir526, Maya Morris on the black tier, we have the aforementioned Maka Tautala, Nathan Shank, Evan O'Paker, Liam McCallan, and Texas Vader 76. And for Texas Vader, I actually just sent you uh, the shirts that you requested and uh, the black tier reward uh, that we try and do a rolling uh, list for. So that is now on its way. And um, thank you so much, guys, for, for subscribing and um, helping us with the podcast and keeping us going uh in a certain way we would still do the podcast but you guys help us buy stuff like merch and swag um we want to do a big run for japan 2025 do patches coins stickers uh maybe something different maybe something a little unique uh but yeah let us know what your ideas are and uh we'll uh consider them of course and so without further ado i want to talk about uh some of this news that has dropped and a lot of it has to do with the new projects that are going to drop. And that's all right in my wheelhouse because I love live action. There's a lot of live action news. Liam is there. Hey, what's up, Liam? Thanks for being a, a patron supporter. Um, so to this news, um, the first thing I kind of want to talk about here is the fact that James Mangold is talking and he's talking a whole lot which is something I really love. He didn't hold back, and he actually said some stuff that is a little contradictory to what Kathleen Kennedy has said in the past. And there's a lot of articles out there that have been written about uh, his interactions with the media. And I'm going to read uh, some of the stuff here that's out there. So this is on Bestman Bulletin. Uh, the headline is, James Mangold shares new details on his Star Wars movie, unlikely to use Jedi term, interested in speaking with the maker george lucas so the article states uh james mangle the writer and director of an upcoming untitled star wars movie set tens of thousands of years before the phantom menace which we will see the discovery of the force and first ever jedi is currently on the promotional circuit for his latest effort we all know we've all been talking about it all month especially colin indiana jones and the dial of destiny and during the run of the topic of his exciting Star Wars movie has arose. The Logan director's day featured on the popular podcast, Happy, Sad, Confused, 
hosted by Josh Horowitz, which is, I agree, it's a fantastic podcast. Uh, the bulk of the interview naturally revolves around Indiana Jones, but Mangle discussed his upcoming Swamp Thing movie for DC Studios, his scrapped Boba Fett film, which you can read about in a separate article, and of course, which are, we're also going to talk about on the podcast, his upcoming Dawn of the Jedi Star Wars project. Mangled was asked about what appealed to him having a movie set so far away from the various Star Wars trilogies and series with the writer-director explaining that the idea of having so much space is appealing to him and that having such distance from the various canon Star Wars series and films allows him to tell a story where he doesn't feel constrained. James Mangled said, When I talk to the Star Wars clerics, a.k.a. story group, uh, that keep track of all these timelines, I was like, so uh, when would this have happened? And they said 25,000 years before episode one. James Mangold said, I was like, oh, I was looking for distance, but that's distance. I'll do it. I might find Charlton Heston in an abandoned subway station with some vapes, but I'll do it. Uh, but the reality for me was that feeling of space, pun not intended, but a propos uh, was something that I felt was really important. Not to get away from fan service or the intricacies of what George Lucas had set up and dreamed of, but just have the space to tell a story and not be instantly encumbered with the bases that you have to it. Honestly, there's no other way to explain it to folks other than it to say it's like that game we played as kids, Twister. At a certain point, you're entangled because you're just kind of trying to find a way to tell a story with so many constraints that you can't. He also says, uh, I have not had a chance at all uh, to talk with George Lucas with what I'm thinking on this Star Wars movie. He was involved and read the script for Indiana Jones and was a Ford v. Ferrari fan, I'm told. But it would be very interesting to talk to him. I mean, I'm a little protective of myself, even in the sense of meeting Bob Dylan in relation to the Bob Dylan film. Um, in parentheses, a complete unknown. I like to have myself together before I get into those kind of situations. Every good idea skates on the edge of being uh, precipitously awful and very safe idea never gets towards that edge. So the trick is to always develop your idea enough so that your compatriots, consultants, and mentors can understand how you're avoiding going over the edge and not just daring it. Obviously, as a writer, I am on strike right now. So those solutions in that process is not going to happen right now. So, Robert, what are your thoughts on what James Mangold is saying here? I like how at the very end he's like, also, I'm on strike. So all this stuff that I'm talking about that I'm doing, I'm not doing. So uh, I feel like he is doing it, but it's his own personal <laughs> doing. Because, I mean, sure, yeah, you want to be in solidarity with your you know, fellow writers. But at the same time, you got a big job coming up and you need to get it done. So I'm wondering if he is burning the candles at both ends and actually getting the writing done for what need what's upcoming. But it is kind of weird that he hasn't even, you know, spoke. I, it's weird and it's not weird in the sense that eventually everyone's going to have to get away from talking to George Lucas and just kind of doing things on their own because Lucas ain't going to be around forever. But it's weird that you have George Lucas. And if he's a fan, why have you not spoken to him just to kick things around? And if Lucas ever had any thoughts about that far back in the time period, you know, and granted, I understand maybe he doesn't want to 
muddy his own trajectory in which he the way he's going but he's the maker so you would think that maybe bringing him in as he did with indiana jones if they already have that kind of rapport unless he never even got to meet him and somebody at the higher levels just gave lucas a script to read so you know you would think that bringing the maker in for something like this just to at least kick around some ideas or figure out what would be you know a, a good place to start in the long, long ago, in the before times. So uh, it's nice that he gets a clean slate. I'm really excited to see, you know, how somebody can take a universe that we know, but with nothing incorporating anything we have ever seen before and be able to start from the ground up. So you always want to see what do they got? You know, where are you going to go with it? But at the same time, uh, it could go bad because you, you never know. It's somebody else's vision. It's his vision of where they are going. Granted, maybe Story Group has an idea or Kennedy has thoughts or, you know, Lucas could even give some thoughts. But it really, it's going to come down to what he vision envisions as the future of Star Wars, which is actually the past of Star Wars. So um, I'm excited that he's, you know, taking his time, it sounds like. But at the same time, uh, a little anxious. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the newest Indiana Jones, but you know, a lot of people are. And uh, I love Logan and I love Ford versus Ferrari. So absolutely, I, I'm anxious to see where he'll go with it. Yeah, uh, a lot of stuff there. A, a lot of that article and what he said really makes me think about the future of this film because the big question I have is when, this, when is this film gonna start shooting when is it gonna drop we all have that new timeline that they released i'm not sure if you're aware of it there's gonna be two films dropping in 2026 apparently one in may one in december which is a repeat kind of of 2018 2019 kind of because the last jedi dropped december then immediately that may solo dropped after Infinity War and after Deadpool 2, which were two other huge films that we all are interested in. Um, and then the marketing was put into question. So, and you also have out there that it, the rumor that there was a mandate put on, and we're not sure if this was totally true, but Bob Iger put a mandate that Kathleen Kennedy had to drop a film soon or else. And that got a lot of like, buzz and and talk about it um not sure if that's true or not but she's going to drop two films essentially in 2026 and then a 2027 film um because there was this whole big promise of dropping star wars films in the future so the question is okay so is if it drops in 2027 when is feloni's film going to drop i think that's the other big question is it outside of these next three films i'm guessing so uh, because we still have that whole Favoloni verse thing happening because Mando season four needs to shoot. Then you put on top of all that the writer strike and the impending possible actor strike. So it just might push everything out, which might give kind of cushioning or um, just room for Kathleen Kennedy to say, hey, look, we can't shoot these movies yet because, look, I mean, we have a writer strike, we have an actor strike, we're going to have to wait longer. And I think the Star Wars films is what Disney, Bob Iger, and the shareholders want to get back to because that's what really makes the money. And it seems like 
Disney Plus and all the streaming services have kind of either plateaued or dropped. And then we have all the firings that happen at Disney. ESPN just took a big hit. And it's um, kind of taking information as far as these dates uh, with a grain of salt. But I'm really looking forward to James Mangold's film. And the other thing that kind of popped into my head about James Mangold was the fact that he has all these great films. He has 310 to Yuma. He has the ones you mentioned, Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, he has Logan, which was one of the greatest comic book films of all time. Um, but now he has The Dial of Destiny, which I was able to watch it. And to me personally, I, I don't think a lot of people agree with me, but to me personally, it felt like that Indiana Jones film was the least favorite of the five for me personally. It, it felt almost kind of paint by numbers for me. It, it, it felt very bland, very, very much like it was missing an element or two in the film. Um, first act was terrific, but for me, um, getting to watch an Indiana Jones film on the big screen is always something to do, something to look forward to and celebrate. But I mean, Harrison Ford isn't getting any younger and uh, yeah, I don't want to go into spoilers or anything, but yeah, that's really my opinion for that film. And it really made me think of Colin Trevorrow, how he was tapped to do the last film of the sequel trilogy, and then he dropped a book of Henry. And that didn't do so great. And now James Mangold has dropped Dial of Destiny. And that's going to get... I think I think the projections are $60 million domestically for the box office. And for a $300 million film, that's not good. Sure. That's yeah, not good it, at all. And you figure, though, it, it just depends on the legs. Um, because I know, like, Mission Impossible Fallout, I think, was like $71 million that weekend. Mm -hmm. And so it has the ability to run. It, but the problem is, is what's coming next week. You already have Mission Impossible on the horizon. And then some Barbies coming. Oppenheimer's on the way. So it's just you're going to run into a roadblock to where a lot of people are just because of streaming. They're able to just say, okay, well, I'll wait because there's already something bigger on the horizon that maybe they were on the, the fence on going to watch. And if that's the case, that's, that's detrimental to Indiana Jones and the Dallas destiny's numbers. And what it comes down to is the numbers when it comes to Lucasfilm, when it comes to Disney, they need to make the money on a 300 million budget. They need to make the money. And the problem is, is if they're not making the money, they're going to blame the director that, which is typically what ends up happening uh, and they're going to end up blaming Kennedy again. So granted, they don't like to come out and, and say Kennedy because they don't want to add any more fuel to the fire that's already out there when it comes to Kathleen Kennedy and how she's running Lucasfilm. But it's just another, you know, notch in the belt of, of the missteps that we've been seeing with Lucasfilm. And it's another... Uh, it's the curse. It's another strike of the curse of announcing a director. And then all of a sudden something goes wrong with the director to the point where it's like, well, now there's a vote of no confidence when it comes <laughs> to you like that, when it comes to uh, the future of them in star Wars. So it's like, well, now Mangold could be on the fence when it comes to whatever he decides that he wants to go with story-wise. Uh, 
Kennedy and her position and trying to get a movie out, which may now not happen based on the dates that they wanted, thanks to the, the strikes and all that. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of moving pieces right now, but it doesn't look good once again for Mangold's story, or at least film, if they lose as much money as it looks like they possibly could lose on Indiana Jones. Now, granted, they can make the money. It could be legs. They can go with it and everybody keeps going to watch it. Uh, I doubt it though. I really don't think that's what's going to happen. Uh, and it's just another case of the box office, essentially leaving, leaving a waste of, of bodies of casualties of these films behind it. These big tentpole blockbusters that are just, you know, getting struck down one by one, but you know, Tom Cruise is a big name and Barbie seems to be getting a lot of the demographics that have not been going to the theaters as much. So, um, and that's what Tom Cruise tends to do too. He gets everybody out to come watch his movies. So, but it's a, it's what, seventh sequel in a series. So who knows if it's going to have that weight, but it doesn't look good for Mangold in his future, at least with Lucasfilm, if his last Lucasfilm movie doesn't do so hot. Yeah, it seems like a deja vu all over again, kind of, because you look back at Ryan Johnson, like highly touted director, promised the trilogy. We got The Last Jedi coming up, and then it did what it did. If you, maybe you loved it, maybe you hated it. I don't think there's very many people in between. Um, and now Colin Trevorrow um, repeated with James Mangold's style of destiny. Um I feel like Indiana Jones should have been more like a Thanksgiving or Christmas release, to tell you the truth. Because I think when you have all the families together, they all go out to the theater. It probably would have done better in the holiday season. But I don't know what Disney has dropping in the holiday season. Do you? The Marvels. Yeah, the Marvels drops in November, okay. which again, it's Marvel, though. So they're already playing gun shy with what they've got going on, pushing yeah. things out, possibly canceling echo and not even letting it see the light of day. Um, rumors, of course, we don't know what's going yeah. on until it's announced, but it's not looking good for Marvel either. Disney isn't doing that hot right now when it comes to the box office, same with Pixar. So I don't know, man, there just needs to be, I don't know. There, there needs to be a, a, a change when it comes to the amount for it's got to be quality over quantity, man. And they just shoved quantity down our throats for so long uh, to the point where the quality suffered. And granted, a lot of it's great from what I hear, but I haven't gone to see because there's so many different things coming out. Now, granted, we make every Marvel movie. We make every Lucasfilm movie when it comes out. Like we make it a point. But, you know, we don't go see every Pixar movie. We don't go see every movie that's coming out each weekend. So we didn't even go see The Flash for DC. Granted, I was in the hospital when it dropped. But yeah. I have it. I could go now and we still haven't had any decision to go. But it's just I. It, there is a burnout. And I don't think it's a superhero burnout or a Star Wars burnout. It's just a burnout of content, content yeah. overload. There is so much. And I uh, what we, we were watching something yesterday i don't even remember who who was talking about it uh oh yeah it was uh uh what's his name everybody loves him he's spider pig 
Mulaney, John Mulaney. Yeah, John Mulaney. Yeah, John Mulaney. I was on Hot Ones. He was talking about how everybody talks about how there's so much content, too much content to watch. Well, with the writer's strike and the possible actor strike on the horizon, there's going to be plenty of content for you to go back and watch because there ain't going to be nothing new coming out for quite some time. So there was overabundant amount of content for us to watch and absorb that so much of it has just fallen to the wayside. And I think that's what's hurting so many different properties is there's just too much out there to the point where not everyone's making the time to go and, and watch it. So uh, I think it's a good idea for Star Wars to push things out and plan things out. And, and the problem is, is when you look down the road, they're dropping it in November, then they're dropping it in May again. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like you, we should have learned this lesson already. So um, I just hope they don't, you know, strike down Mangold because of what's happening now, because of his latest entry getting struck down. But I think what I think is an overabundance amount of content too much. Yeah, I don't think they will, because I think Mangle is a whole lot more proven than what the Colin Trevorrow situation was. I mean, he's got a, a terrific library of stuff, and I don't think the Star Wars fans, um, a certain sector of them have turned on him, really. And the fact that it's going to be 25,000 years in the past um, is, is a plus for storytelling in this film. So True, but they did it to Patty. They did it to Taika. Like... You're seeing all these these directors that never were. Now, granted, there could still be Taika, but I, I honestly, I don't bet on it. I don't think we're going to get a Taika movie. And obviously, we're not getting a Patty movie. So, you know, and then Trevorrow was one. And, yeah. you know, the the Rain Ryan trilogy is, is probably done for. So who knows, man? It's weird. It's a weird thing. I've never seen anything like it in terms of just you know, these major announcements and then no, we're just never going to talk about it again. Now the stuff too about Acolyte, all the rumors coming out about that. It's like, whew, what the hell is going on, man? Yeah. I had a patron contact me and ask me if the rumors are true. And I'm like, no, I don't think they are. Cause it would have been a huge story if there were like firings and a discontinuance of the show. But yeah, I think it's just stuff that's just nonsense out there. But it's hard to, to navigate. Yeah, I mean, if there's, the smoke, it's like, there's fire, yeah. But, <laughs> there's so much I mean, going on of that right yeah, now yeah. to where it's like, yeah, I could see that. But when it comes out, I'll enjoy it or I'll, I'll watch it and hopefully I enjoy it. But, you know, yeah. it's that with all the craziness that has gone on, it's crazy how something like that firing a, you know, a, a showrunner and canceling a series is like nowadays they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Everyone else is doing it. So it sucks. It's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, we just want new Star Wars movies, man. Come on. But granted, <laughs> we waited a long, be- long time between you know episode six and s- or three and seven, so you know we can wait. Yeah, yeah, we have to wait. I love that you actually brought that up because I was thinking about that the other day. There's so much content out there. I was thinking back to when I was like a little kid, and there was not hardly anything unless you wanted to go to a bookstore after you watched the films. I mean, you, you either had to read or watch the films and there was no TV shows. Maybe there's like a little bit of droid stuff here and there. But after that, it was like there's no Internet. I mean, yep. now it's just like coming at you. And as a reactor, I mean, you have so much stuff that you can react to. And then there's so much stuff for us to talk about. And then it just keeps on going and going. And yeah, the, the quality is is always going to take precedence over quantity, always. And um Lucasfilm has had that time to take the break 
until 2026, which is a long time between Star Wars films. So, but it sucks because it feels like when when did uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker come out? 2019. Like, 1921, two, three, four, four, four years already, and we feel like we're nowhere even like we haven't even started to head towards the next movie like all we did was make an announcement and so it still feels like man four years and i grant that a lot happened in those four years but a lot also didn't happen in the four years in terms of star wars films so yeah it's it it's just weird how everything keeps stalling out and just you hear these these properties or at least these these new movies being built and then it's just like i was super excited for rogue squadron and nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nothing just put it out of your mind it doesn't exist anymore well i mean they say they've shelved rogue squadron i was never too excited about patty jenkins being the director but i was excited about the premise of rogue squadron yeah, we all know about course. the books that were written in the 90s and yeah there's a lot of potential just think about the ending of rogue one the space battle that's pretty much a whole film right there and following a group of of pilots that would be so great so great. i mean look they at can... maverick dude everybody loved maverick but maverick that was, was essentially episode hope. four <laughs> that was just a yeah. new hope and it was great it was awesome like yeah. it's okay you can I, yeah. I mean a new hope is hidden fortress so it's like yeah. it's it it's why not you can change things up and make it make it cool so i just it's just sucks again because they got gun shy because of wonder woman 84 and you know, I, I just feel like the which people, was not a good film. Which it, was it was not hard a good to watch. Film, but do you do you immediately you know strike somebody down? We know how DC is when it comes to yeah. keeping their hands Meddling. in the pod and doing their thing. And it's like Star Wars or Lucasfilm feels like they they're on that level too. Look at freaking uh, uh, Solo. So and granted, you know, I enjoy Solo, but I really would have loved to see the original Solo. Yeah. That and, and just let them try it and see what they can do before meddling. And I just pe- think the people at the top aren't the ones that should be deciding if the movie is quality or not. Like, I just feel like they need to trust their directors. And I don't know. It's weird. There needs to be some some sort of vision, a visionary. And there's still no visionary, in my opinion, at Lucasfilm. Yeah, if we had the Lord and Miller solo, we probably wouldn't have had... The Sony Spider Verse, that's a possibility. Or we would have had it, but later. Who yeah, knows? That, that's, Who yeah, knows? We could add both, but sure. So there's more mangled news that I want to talk about, and it's it's a very familiar topic that we mentioned years and years ago in the podcast. It feels like 2018, maybe 2019 is when we mentioned this story initially. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook. You can see the image there, mangled with Boba Fett. So this is also from Bestman Bulletin. The title is James Mangold confirms he was working on a Boba Fett movie. The Star Wars movie was borderline rated R, plus more details. So James Mangold, writer and director of the upcoming Lucasfilm release, which has already dropped, Indiana Jones and the Tale of Destiny, has once again confirmed that he had previously worked on a Boba Fett movie during a new interview and has shared details on the project. Back in 2018... Like I mentioned, just days before the release of Solo, Star Wars Story, The Hollywood Reporter exclusively shared that the director of Logan, James Mangold, was set to direct the Boba Fett anthology film for Lucasfilm and Disney and was co-writing the script alongside Simon Kenberg from X-Men Dark Phoenix, which was not a great movie. 
the film never came to be, but Simon Kimberg also worked on Rebels, so there's that. But Mangle confirmed his involvement on the project last week with Variety and has now shared more details with the Happy Sack Confused podcast. Host of the podcast, Josh Horwitz, brought up past rumors of Mangold previously working on a Star Wars film with the, with the host, uh, relaying rumors that the Logan director was more than dabbling with a Boba Fett film a number of years ago and asked if the project at the time bared any resemblance to The Mandalorian or the Book of Boba Fett TV show. Mangold outright confirms that this was the case. He was most certainly working on a Boba Fett movie. The writer-director added that his development and plans for the Fett flick likely scared Lucasfilm and Disney as his vision for the film borderline rated R. He also shared that unlike most Star Wars stories, he never planned for Fett to leave the planet he was residing on, which we assume to be Tatooine, and reaffirmed a tidbit from the Variety article last week that the film was planned as a spaghetti western inspired by films of Sergio Leone, the iconic film director behind films such as The Dollar Trilogy. Mangled says, at the point that I was doing it, I was probably scaring the shit out of everyone, but I was probably making much more of a borderline rated R sort of spaghetti western, a single planet spaghetti western. The world would never have been able to embrace Baby Yoda if I made that movie, if I didn't really belong in the world that I was envisioning, James Mangled states. Mangled went on to confirm that many fans have long suspected but that the project was stopped due to corporate realignment after the commercial failure that was Solo, a Star Wars story. Originally, Lucasfilm and Disney planned on releasing a series of anthology movies along with the release of the Star Wars sequel trilogy. The first anthology movie, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, was released in 2016 and made over $1 billion at the box office. Due to the success, Lucasfilm ramped up production on three more anthologies uh, slash a Star Wars story titles, Solo, Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Solo released in 2018 after trouble production and made less than $400 million worldwide on a production budget of $275 million. The film seemingly lost a significant amount of money for the studio, and Lucasfilm and Disney presumably abandoned plans of releasing more anthology films with Fett and Kenobi eventually turning into Disney Plus series, both of which were very successful. Mangled said it kind of just uh, in a moment of corporate realignment after what had happened with the Han Solo movie, Solo Star Wars story. They suddenly decided that the Lucasfilm, um, that they Lucasfilm weren't making pictures like that. And I think the opportunities in streaming presented themselves, according to James Mangold. So. Bombshell. Lucasfilm has paid their price for their lack of vision. Mangold had vision. He had the vision for where he could take a spaghetti Western Boba Fett story, which sounds very similar to what we ended up getting with Mandalorian in the beginning. You know, it was very Western. It felt like the stranger, the man with no name, you know, the, the, the man with no name trilogy, the dollar trilogy. Uh, and yeah, that's what the way it should have gone. That's the way it should have been. Now, granted, yeah, just like you said with Spider-Verse, uh, this very possible had we gotten that, never would have got, you know, Pedro Pascal rocking it out as Din Jaren with Baby Yoda with Grogu. Like there's a very possibility we would have received A but not gotten B because of it. But at the same time, man, you're starting off hot with a, a Boba Fett film that will probably would have done the character more justice than what ended up happening in the series for the character, just in terms of reception and success. 
Uh, I don't see people running out to buy Boba Fett toys, you know, granted they really haven't been doing well with the just regular action figures compared to the hot, the hot toys and the high quality stuff that that's the one people will invest in. But you know, the real money comes into the mass produced, you know, action figures for the kids. And granted, I understand Disney's hesitance to put out a show or a series, uh, a movie that is borderline rated R, something a little bit edgier that they can't market to the kids uh, for the toys. But the thing is, again, their toys aren't doing so hot anyways, but what is doing hot is the collector level of toys and merch and all kinds of stuff. So they just got to get out of this mindset to stop selling to just the kids. You need to start selling to the kids that are now the adults that are still the fans of your properties. And you could still have the stuff for the kids with a different, you know, medium or a different outlet or a different series or movie, but let the adults have something too, which would have been a little bit edgier Boba Fett movie. And granted, it didn't even have to be rated R. He didn't even say it would be rated R. He said it was borderline rated R, which is still PG-13. You just don't put any F-bombs in there. And hell, you even get one. So it's like, and they probably wouldn't have done it anyway. So I don't know how rated R they could have made it. You know, Din Jaren cut somebody in half in the very first five seconds of The Mandalorian. So I just feel like, you know, they they just lack that vision, dude. And, man, we were talking about other directors, too, that ended up, you know, getting, you know, cut before they even made it. Josh Trank. Josh Trank was supposed to be doing the Boba Fett movie rumored yeah. back in the day with Ken Berg. So it's like this has been going on since the very beginning. They're so afraid. They're so gun shy. And then they end up losing money and they're like, oh, we got to scrap it all. It's like, well, because you were meddling, that's why it lost money. And now you're, you know, back to the drawing board again and restarting. And they've stopped and restarted so much since those days. And it's just, it, it's upsetting to hear that Mangold, you know, was cut short. And it has taken this long to bring him back in to possibly do something. But then it makes me weary now to the point where it's like, well, what if he does something a little edgier in these ones? Are we going to end up right where we started? Because that article even said vision. They didn't see his vision for how he was going to take it. And that's just, it's worrisome, man. You got to have visionaries. And if your your director is the visionary, you got to trust them. But man, it's, unfortunately, sometimes you end up in situations like Zack Snyder, where not saying it's unfortunate, but the man needs room to breathe with his visions and it just doesn't fit in the confines of a two hour time slot that they're looking for in a theater. You know, it's going to take them time to do it in that case. Maybe, you know, that's when you do the, the multiple movies instead, the way they see it with multiple movies, it's like, Oh, we're going to make a trilogy. All right, let's make the first movie. Okay. Now what? It's like, no, 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 no. You let the visionary vision. And then if it requires two movies, then you do two movies. It's just this backwards way of thinking from them, man. It's just, it's upsetting to hear that what we could have had and where we are. I just felt like, you know, it, it could have been badass. And you could have still done The Mandalorian, but you could have had a badass Boba Fett too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that I can branch off from what you just said there. But uh, like, like you said, when you get these auteur directors, you got to let them cook. You got to let them do their own thing. That that's why you hire them because they have the talent and the creativity to create great cinema, and that's what I think Star Wars is kind of lacking. Um, 
you you can't like we mentioned before with DC meddling with their projects. You, you got to let them do their own thing. It it feels like they let Favreau more or less do his own thing with the Mandalorian. But back when Favreau pitched initially to Lucasfilm, he wanted to do something with Boba Fett, and they said, "No, you can't," because we have the Boba Fett film being created by James Mangold. But then that fell through, and then we got Din Djarin. We got a brand new character. That's essentially the Boba Fett series right there with just a different character. But yeah, it's it feels like that Boba Fett film, the way it's described by Mangold, would have been in a different timeline. It's one of the greatest Star Wars films ever. I mean, you have to have... I mean, he's a bounty hunter. It has to have violence. It has to have very kind of morally kind of risky things in it, you know? Because, um, I mean, it, it's it's that whole kind of expectation that we've had for the past 30, 40 years for that type of character and that type of story to hear and see live on screen. It's um, just kind of disappointing that, that we didn't get that film. Especially and, if you go back and watch the Dollar Trilogy, man, the Man With No Name Trilogy. Yeah. God, it's so good. And if you did anything even close to that level of spaghetti western, man, it, it's it's amazing. If you ever get a chance, if anybody watching this has never watched the Man With No Name Trilogy, go do yourself a favor. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we could have got that at Boba Fett. Dang. Yeah, man. So unfortunate. It's, yeah, super unfortunate. <sighs> but we would have gotten, but we would have gotten Mandalorian anyways. Uh, from what you're saying, at least it sounds that way. We would have gotten the Mandalorian anyways because yeah, they work together. Of... It works so well to have the movie and then have Mandalorian and then have that character maybe come over and he would have already been established from where he was. And it just yeah, 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 yeah. My my whole view and outlook on what star wars should be is you should release the films at least one per year and then have them work in concert with the live shows that are happening so that you can have those characters kind of walk in and out of each of those uh mediums so i mean that's i think that's what we were kind of halfway promised in the beginning but i mean with the writer's strike with the pandemic with um stuff not performing well at the box office like solo and then this is another kind of domino that fell from the solo uh box office disappointment because they got like you said gun shy and and man, still are been, still yeah. are man it's 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 just rinse and repeat it's been the same thing ever since they started this gun shy mentality and just hiding their tail between their legs and running away whenever something doesn't work but the problem is the reason it didn't work was because of the meddling, because they ended up coming in and changing things around. And granted, I do think the decision with Josh Trank was sound, but you got mangled at some point. And it's like, damn, man, what mangled ended up doing from that point on, I feel like what was a Ford V Ferrari after that Logan after that. So it's like, man, you, this dude was in his prime at the time and probably still is, is, you know, just in terms of, you know, the edgier side of things, but man, they, they, they didn't, they didn't give him the, the justice that he deserved in terms of making a story that Boba Fett deserved, which was a little bit edgier, man. The, the dude was a, a ruthless bounty hunter and that's not who he was in the book of Boba Fett, unfortunately, but you know, that's yeah. the softer side of Disney that we ended up 
the, the softer side of Lucasfilm that we ended up getting. I don't even blame Disney. I just think it's the money. It, it, I blame Lucasfilm and their desire to be profitable in the the. I guess I blame Disney too because they're the ones that Disney sucks with toys though. Like their merchandising is great, but dude, did you ever buy toys at the Disney store? They were crap. Like it was about Hasbro. It was about. I don't think I, did. I don't think there was a Disney store that existed when I was playing with toys. So, dude, they, there was for me, and they were garbage. Like the action mm. figures, all that stuff was terrible when it came. Like maybe there was like the best ones was like the Disney Afternoon figures. You could get like Darkwing Duck and Launchpad and stuff. But like those were cool, those. and they even ended up like remaking those later. But that's because Darkwing Duck was badass. It wasn't so much Disney. You went if you wanted to buy toys for like the Lion King or uh, Aladdin. Like those toys were terrible. Like mm. you need Kenner, you need you know all the Hasbro, you need all these different companies that were in it. And I just feel like Dis Disney is the ones that just softened the blow when it came to the you know we need to make the money with the baby Grogu. But again, that's Disney coming down on Kathleen Kennedy, who works for a company that was very big on merchandising and making money. So, you know, it's hard to say where it's lying in terms of let's soften things up to make to sell more crap. But mm -hmm. man, with the money that that adults are spending on lightsabers and outfits and cosplay and just everything you can think of high quality stuff. Like you would think that they would totally invest more in that side of things. Look at uh, the can't the what is it the uh, the lightsaber stuff like the high quality lightsaber doc not Doc Ondars but at like Galaxy's Edge where you could get the good stuff the good quality lightsabers like that's you're dropping hundreds of dollars just for one plus the, all the accessories and they got the kitty ones that you can get but the real money comes into like the hot toys and all that so. I don't know. It's yeah. they're just softening things up in terms of the the quality of the movies and shows that I think they they don't need to, but that's their choice and it's hurting them. <laughs> Merchandising. Merchandising. That's been Lucasfilm, man. Lucas, but that's why I think it might even be Disney because Lucasfilm did a great job with the merchandising. Yeah. Not, not so much during the Phantom Menace age, but that was the that's when your movie kind of hurts the sales. That's when you see the correlation. If the mm -hmm. the movies at the time are not hitting it right, who were the ones that were buying them up? The adults. It was the adults that, that were buying older teenagers, like my people my age, you know. I was working and buying the figures like it wasn't the kids coming in that were waiting in line forever to buy every single figure it was the adults that were coming in so and if the movies just aren't hitting for them they don't buy the figures anymore and yeah. it, it hurts the pocket it hurts the the bank and that's what you're seeing still and the only one that's profitable is baby grogu because he's cute as hell and i love him <laughs> i love him so much yeah, I have about like eight Grogu's behind me. So yeah, you can count like one, two, three. And this little effort right here, man. Yeah, they, they, I got one right there. The best part and... about Rise of Skywalker, man. And it, like, I'll buy yeah. all this. I'll buy, you know, anything um, with that little effort. So yeah, you brought up uh, Doc Ondars and um, being an adult and spending money. So yes, I am an adult. And I buy all this stuff, and I actually bought the most expensive lightsaber three weekends ago at uh, Galaxy's Edge in Orlando. It's uh, the uh, Master Yoda lightsaber. It comes with its own special blade. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's 
it was pretty expensive. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you have a point. I mean, it's and it's an interesting thing. I mean, you would think they'd cater to the adults more so than the kids, and the kids would be just kind of like follow in suit and just kind of love the things that they release that are more predicated to adults, but it is what it's it is. Weird, right? It's just yeah. weird. It's this it's this old way of thinking. And and granted, I know like everyone will pull out the 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 maker and say George Lucas says it's for kids. It's for kids. It's for kids. It's like kids grow up. Kids grow up quick, but they can still love it. And why would you not? Why would you not still cater to them just because yeah. they're not kids anymore? Like now you got to cater to the little kids. Well, what happens when those little kids grow up? Cause it happens like that. So why would you be investing more in the, you know, human that was only that for such a short period of time, but not the rest of their life where they could be a lifelong fan to upwards of the, you know, old age, they could still be buying star Wars stuff. It's just weird. It's a weird mentality that and it's so weird all the defenders that are like well it's for kids it's like why i understand you can make it for the kids but man so many cartoons back in the day like we just watched uh, puss in boots the last wish and it's like the first cartoon that i've watched in a long time that felt like they were making a cartoon for adults and kids like the kids mm-hmm. could watch it and get scared by the imagery that's there but as adults were like dang like that's legit representation of death. Like you, it's it, and and anxiety. Like you're showing all this stuff in this cartoon, and it reminds me of like Brave Little Toaster and all the the Secret of Nim and and American Tale. Like all this stuff back then, which like as kids, you even we were talking about before we went on air, like Amblin, where they would make movies that were basically for adults but with kids. Like and it worked for both audiences it's just they lost sight of that man to the point where it's it's just i don't know it's just hurting them and they just don't see it man we just they gotta just listen to us we just knock some sense into them and that's the problem (laughs) that's the problem is you do have a lot of fans that just feel like they have the answers and they're so vulgar and over the top about it to the point where it feels like uh uh annie and misery you know where they're the ones (laughs) wanting to write the story and they're just jerks about the whole thing but yeah the writing's on the wall, man, that it's just not working with where they are right now. And unfortunately they need to trust their visionaries like James Mangold back in the day. And hopefully they learn their lesson. We'll see. Yeah. And that was a nice segue because we're going to talk about something that was Amblin inspired skeleton crew. So back to Bespin bulletin. They have a really good story here. Uh, Star Wars skeleton crew creator sh- shares details on the series Jude Law talks of his contradictory character. We're a number of months away from the John Watts and Christopher Ford created a live-action Star Wars series, Skeleton Crew, debuting on Disney+. Plus. But today, Entertainment Weekly have released an interview conducted at Star Wars Celebration back in April with one of the series creators along with one of its stars who share new details on the upcoming series. We've known since the series was first announced last year that John Watts and Christopher Ford wanted to create a Star Wars series in Skeleton Crew inspired by classic 80s Amblin movies such as The Goonies. The series focuses on a group of kids seeking adventure and take off on one without uh, their parents' knowledge, but unfortunately the group managed to get lost, which we all knew, uh, with the series focusing primarily on the children's quest to find their way back home. Series co-creator Christopher Ford shared that despite the series being led by a group of children, the series itself is intended for people of all ages. 
adding that the show isn't for kids. It's just got kids in it. Ford explained that though they're aiming for a series with fun and adventure, the downside of that for the characters is that, is that adventure comes with danger, which our heroes will most certainly face when lost in a galaxy far, far away. Christopher Ford says, Skeleton Crew's tone and adventure and a lot of fun. Let me say that again. As uh, Christopher Ford says, Skeleton Crew's tone is an adventure and a lot of fun. Uh, but with adventure comes the downside of it, which is danger. And when the kids are in danger, it's extra fraught. So you know we play with that. Uh, but overall, we wanted it to be just a fun adventure. Hopefully, it can be for all ages uh, type of thing. Um, hopefully, it can be a for all ages type of thing. Uh, when we told Kathleen Kennedy that we wanted to go for that kind of Amblin tone, which she perfected, uh, they never thought of those movies for kids. They just happen to be about kids. A story of a kid going on adventure can be for anyone. So there you go. We just kind of talked about that. And hopefully Skeleton Crew, which they showed us the trailer in London. It was terrific. It was very dark, which was surprising. And we got to see. Um, it, it's hard to recollect any of that trailer now because they, they also showed us the Acolyte trailer, which kind of, I think, dominated all of our memories. But it was very dark. Um it felt like an Amblin production. It felt like more so E.T. for me because that's the movie I really grew up with uh, as far as Amblin goes. And it, it, it did have that feel, according to the trailer. But once we get the show, uh, which I'm not quite sure when that drops, I think either end of this year, um, like Thanksgiving time frame or a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Star Wars and dates now. I mean, it's it's... It's kind of hit or miss, but yeah, it's they're saying all the right things. Um, John Watts just got done directing the uh, the home trilogy with Spider Man, so he's used to working with uh, younger ages, and it it feels like this could be a really kind of under the radar type of show because I think everyone's looking towards Ahsoka right now. A lot of people are looking forward to Acolyte. I think this show is I think could surprise a lot of people. And just the way it looks, the way it's described, I think it's right up everyone's alley that, that's looking for something Star Wars related. And Robert, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Liam was asking something that I actually asked before we went on the air, which is a timeline for Skeleton Crew. And uh, uh, David informed me, and it makes sense, that it's around Mandalorian era because that pirate guy who was in the Mandalorian season three yeah is in skeleton crew. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I did hear he was there. So it would make sense that it's a post galactic, uh, empire, you know, regime era, uh, which is great because I don't really know anything about skeleton crew, just a couple pictures that have dropped. And it makes me wonder if, you know, it's, uh, maybe some force users that are hanging out with another force user that are traversing the galaxy, trying to find their way. So something like that sounds cool. We can get into a lot of adventures, um, but yeah, I, I, it's a show that I, I'm honestly okay with not really knowing anything about because I want to be surprised because I want to be pleasantly surprised, uh, to see where they end up going with it. I love Lost in Space. I even like the nineties Lost in Space, like that movie, even though it has a CG, you know, fest at the end of the movie, uh, it's tiny wimey as hell and I enjoyed it. And so I think that if they could harness even a fraction of the Amblin entertainment, aspect of you know those kinds of movies like even super eight i enjoyed super eight 
yeah, for what it was. It, it, yeah. it, it was, uh, it felt like Amblin. You felt like you were harnessing just a tad bit of Amblin without just overtly, you know, even though JJ Abrams likes to take a little bit more liberties when it comes to copying those that came before him. Um, I do feel like it was its own thing. And I think that if they can make their own thing that isn't lost in space and isn't an Amblin movie, but at least has the nature of those types of things and you throw in Star Wars, I, I think it could be a real big hit. Jude Law, I was never really a big fan of Jude Law until later in his career. Uh, and it ended up being, I think it was Sherlock. I think it was Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. When I heard he was playing Watson. I was like, well, Jude Law, like he's kind of boring. I didn't really care for him in AI or any of the other stuff, Alfie, all that. But then all of a sudden, man, when he was Watson uh, against Sherlock, like I started paying attention to him a little bit more. And so now seeing him here, um, I'm excited for it. I, I think that he can do good, especially when it comes to playing opposite kids. Cause then I go back to what he was able to do with Haley Joe Osmond in AI. And he's got a real good rapport when it comes to the kid counterparts. And I think that maybe, you know, he'll be able to pull it off here. And he's got a very delicate way about him too, but he can be badass when he needs to. So I'm excited to see, you know, what they can do with his character in this. Um, I just hope that at some point, and I feel like, you know, I don't want to be, consistently saying the same thing over and over again but i hope they don't make it too kitty after they watch it they're like well we need to make it more family friendly we need to make it more appeal to kids because then you're just gonna suck the life out of it that these guys were trying to put in and put the vision in like oh that's too scary it's like you came from Amblin. You saw Jurassic Park, right? Like, you can make it scary. I was 13, I think. My sister was like seven or six, and we all went on her birthday to watch Jurassic Park, and she was terrified, but she loved it. And so it's like, you got to embrace the scary. You got to embrace that, you know, edginess. It's not rated yeah. R, but it is scary. People will complain. People might even protest. People might even boycott. When Jurassic Park came out, there was this lady, the mom of one of my friends, wrote this article and campaigned to get parents to block and ban their kids from seeing Jurassic Park because of the violent nature that they, that it had. It's There's kids in this movie, and it's appealing to kids, and why would you let your kids watch this? It's like, bro, like, did you watch the movie? Like, dinosaurs eating people. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, kids would love that. <laughs> but it isn't overtly violent. It isn't yeah. graphic in any way, and it was once the lawyer got eaten, man, she was, she was, you know, <laughs> the, the torch was lit and my friend ended up having to move schools when that happened. Whoa. But, yeah. But he's a genius now and making millions of dollars. So I guess it's okay. Uh, it probably worked out for him. Uh, but still it's stuff like that where it's like, you can have, it's okay to, to make people mad when it comes to the, the level of violence, but you don't have to make it gory. And they know this, they don't have to make it over the top violent but you can add violence there you can add a little edginess to it you know you can make the kids cry whether from being scared or sad bro i was bawling my eyes out during uh et you know yeah, and yeah. it was scary when you see those flashlights and the music and the forest when the agents were coming like it's scary it's okay to make it scary it's okay to scare the kids it's all right to cover their eyes and make them cover their ears and give them nightmares for a bit but Man, it's they just they're so afraid to do that. And I'm afraid, I'm so afraid they're gonna do that with skeleton crew. Yeah. Yeah. 
I I feel pretty confident that we're going to get something very ambling uh, from all the articles, all the quotes that we've gotten. And yeah, Liam McCallion, one of our uh, great patrons here, he's, he says, I'm just waiting for Colin to say Max Rebo is on the <laughs> ship now. So yeah, Max Rebo is like our mascot for the podcast. But yes, there is a Orderland species, Max Rebo species uh, version of a little kid on the ship. Uh, we saw it in the trailer. So it's... um. When I was sitting right next to Colin when we saw it, and I just turned to Colin, and I was just—I just shook my head because Colin is obsessed with Max Rebo, as we all know. <laughs> and the but, fact yeah. that he didn't show us what happened to Max in Book of Boba Fett, man, how do you do that? They know we all love Max Rebo. They know people were excited, and you blow up the bar he's in, but never mention or say anything. Max Rebo got away. You know, you didn't. You, you yeah, put us through that. I, I mean. It's par for the course. They blew up the barge, and they never told us that that he got away from that in okay. Return of the Jedi. So that's true. I mean, it's kind of his, it's his mo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, Jude Law did have a quote that I do want to read about Skeleton Crew. So he says, "I can't tell you very much about my character. He is someone the children meet on their journey on their way to get home. He, like the world they experience, is contradictory. At times, a place of nurture, and other times, a place of threat." What I love is because it's through their eyes. You know, there's a kind of goofy relationship between the kids and the adults. And other times it's really quite dark and quite scary, which I guess is what the world looks like to an awful lot of 11 year olds. So there you go. I love how you've got like the multiple gatekeeper droids. It just reminds me of that one building in uh, Jedi yeah. Survivor. Where you go and it's like the whole building is just covered with the gatekeeper droids. <laughs> and it's like you have yeah. to try and figure out how to get in there. Uh, but I just love it. I love the overprotective nature of whoever it is that he's going to talk to. That yeah. they have to have multiple of those gatekeeper droids right there on the on the screen for him to look at. But I didn't, that's interesting. I didn't know that they they stumble across him. Yeah. as they're going like that's that's kind of cool because that means they're by themselves that's kind of that's even more scary yeah that they're all alone and they end up coming across this guy who ends up taking over taking them under under his wing to protect him hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, it does feel like with all the descriptions of Jude Law's character that he might be some type of like almost like a bipolar character type. Like he might be like really nice at one second and, and just totally turn on them. Almost like a Jekyll Hyde type character. So, or a force with, user struggling with the dark side. Yeah. I mean, that would be super interesting that that's something we really haven't seen on screen. And Jude law, I think has a chops to pull that off. And yeah, the, I, I would be totally down for that. So now, the next story, uh, I think, is something that uh, we're all really familiar with in Rogue One and the first season of Andor. So I'll put up some pictures here of uh, the famed, now famed, Canary Wharf. And this story also comes to us from uh, Bespin Bulletin. As you know, uh, Josh, Colin, and myself were 
in London for celebration, and we took a field trip to Canary Wharf, and we saw some of these structures and kind of identified what was what in Rogue One. And now it looks like Andor Season 2 is shooting at Canary Wharf because, of course, they're going to have that connectivity between Rogue One and Andor Season 2 where every three episodes is going to be an entire year that leads up to the beginning of Rogue One. So the article states... Andor Season 2 shot various scenes at Canary Wharf, London, on Sunday, June 25th, 2023. And they shared a collection of images along with a video and an article uh, that you can read on their website. And this picture here is part of a slew uh, that they have on the website. And it states that um, over the weekend, the Andor production shot scenes relating to the Empire at Canary Wharf, London a location first used in Star Wars for Gareth Edwards' Rogue One, a Star Wars story, the anthology flick that first introduced us to Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor. Andor Season 1 returned to Canary Wharf in 2021, shooting scenes at the location for the headquarters of the Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB, better known as, like I said, the ISB. Um, As you expect to see at the ISB headquarters, many ISB officers and Imperial stormtroopers were spotted filming scenes, primarily walking down a location used for the ISB headquarters entrance as seen in Andor Season 1 of various scenes with uh, Dedra Amiro, played by Denise Goff, uh, who was once again present for the Canary Wharf Andor Season 2 shoot. Though she's not pictured in the images in the article, she can be seen along with Anton Lesser's uh, Major Partigas. Uh, along with ISP officers and the iconic stormtroopers, various extras posing as Coruscant civilians were seen shooting scenes, adding to the lived-in world feel of Disney Plus' series despite Canary Wharf dripping in green screens and or famously made use of more practical effects and plenty of on-location shoots. A stark contrast to the Disney Plus series shot in California such as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett, and The Mandalorian to name a few that opt to film primarily on the volume and film scenes on extremely small sets. However, Andor's first season boasted a whopping $250 million budget, whereas the California-based series remained closer to $100 million, with Skeleton Crew supposedly receiving the largest budget out of any Star Wars California-based Disney Plus series with around $136 million. So, there you have it. We're back at Canary Wharf. Good omen for Andor Season 2, but I think people that watched Andor and discovered it later on um, have simply fell in love with it and universally it's regarded as if not the best one of the best Star Wars TV shows to date Uh, I had the privilege the luck uh, to meet Andy Serkis in person a couple times, took a picture with him with Colin got his autograph, talked to him a little bit Um, so incredible and and of course he's going to be back in the show um I think that was confirmed uh, to what capacity. We're not sure yet, but he was seen uh, walking around on sets in, in wardrobe um, and leading up to probably the most Disney plus uh, pro- well, probably the most beloved Disney star Wars property to date in rogue one um, is going to be terrific. We're all expecting K2SO to show back up Alan Tudyk. And we know that Cassian's going to make it through Um might get a little bit of Felicity Jones. Krennic is going to be back. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, he's a terrific actor. So it's it's going to be great, I think, uh, leading up to Rogue One. And I think it's something we're all really looking forward to, that grit, 
And of course, there's that story that uh, Fiona Shaw was going to drop an F-bomb, but then at the last second, uh, Disney vetoed it. And uh, I'm actually getting the shirt from Celebration uh, via the virtual store where you see uh, Fiona Shaw's image coming out of the top of uh, B2 Emo. And uh, yeah, I I think it's going to get huge ratings after people have discovered Andor and its popularity. So Robert, what do you think about all that? There it is once again, man. Disney softening the blow. F the the Empire. So they had the opportunity and everybody was on board and it was a vision, a vision to do it. So I love that they did that featurette to come out and talk about the truth and that they actually, you know, were going to do that. I'm I'm very happy that Disney allowed that to happen. They could have kept that under wraps and say they didn't want anybody to know that they meddled and had it changed because that just pisses people off. But granted, I do feel like fight the empire works a little bit. Yeah, it does work. It does work because of what was going on in the situation. Um, But I love the edginess. I love the attempt, the attempt to try and utilize it all the way up to the very end. The fight was in to try and use it up until the very end. Uh, I love them going back to Canary Wharf. I love the repurposing of the filming locations uh, of actual locations of going to places that made it just feel so real, made it feel lived in, even though, you know, it's very heavily CG to make it look different and add depth to it and add, you know, this futuristic world on top of a world we already live in. But something about it grounds us by putting it in places like Canary Wharf. Canary Wharf, Doctor Who has done the same thing, man. Canary Wharf is a big battleground uh, for Doctor Who, the Battle of Canary Wharf. If you know, you know. Uh, and I love that they are doing it again, once again. And that's probably why the, the budgets are so inflated because they're not utilizing, you know, the volume for everything. They're going to these actual places and putting it up, uh, putting up the sets to be able to get us back to where we feel like we're there. Once again, that's one of the things that I loved about Andor. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they do end up, you know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the ratings do show up or not, because this was the plan, right? They were going to do their two seasons and then they were going to tie into Rogue One. It was going to be over. So I'm very happy that at least they did give them the opportunity to tell the story and not just cut it after the first one. That's a situation that makes me happy where it's if the ratings were low for season one, because people were slowly taking their time to experience because it is a slow burn. Uh, I feel like thank goodness that they opted for the two seasons and didn't say, well, we didn't do it with the first one done. No more telling of the the rest of the story. And it's just going to be season one, then rogue one. And it's so it makes me happy that they actually invested to do the connected full story all the way up leading to Rogue One. It's going to be exciting to see it even closer to Rogue One in a more cooked uh, story, being able to give us a little bit more breathing room to tell the tale leading us there. Um, Like you said, Krennic and K2SO and bringing some of those characters back that will tie into where we are. I really want to see... Um, Krennic get his hands dirty in the ISB. We know he's dealing with the Death Star and all that, but you know, I want to see Krennic, you know, butting heads with what's her name, Miro. Uh, yeah, uh, Dedra Miro, Dedra Miro. Yeah. I want to see them maybe collaborate or you know, converse in some way because you know, the, the the maybe what happened at the prison put a dent a little bit into 
the construction of the Death Star. So he's got questions as to, you know, how this happened. He's looking for the ones that were involved and she's already looking for Andor. So, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had. I'm super excited for Andor season two. I love Andor season one. Um, the music too, man. I listened to hell out of that soundtrack and there's no Star Wars music in there. I know that pisses some people off, but, <laughs> but it's its own thing, man. It's, it's its own uh, style and it's great, man. You're not going to have the same themes playing over and over again throughout your life. Your life changes, music changes, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, it's great that they gave us a, a, a fresh taste. It still felt like Star Wars, but just a different kind of Star Wars. And now we're leading up to the rogues and I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. It, when you were talking there, one of your points, it, it, it it made me think about Dune, the Dune franchise, the film franchise that Denny Villeneuve directing. So it, it kind of had uh, kind of an auspicious kind of release and box office. And now, but they didn't really look at that. They trusted the creator and Denny and to do a part two. And that's about to drop. And I think people are more aware of it. And I think it's the same thing with Andor. the first season dropped. A lot of people said, well, I'll maybe skip it. And then you got all the critical acclaim. Dune won a bunch of Oscars and or won some awards. And now the next season, the next movie's going to drop. And I think it's going to get a whole lot more eyeballs, um, a bigger cast, a little bit uh, bigger in scope as well. And um, it's connective to a beloved movie. So it's it's going to be awesome when we finally get it. I believe we're getting it next year. So that and Acolyte. That's what happens when you invest in your visionary, man. That they, they were visionaries in Andor's story, and I love that they actually stuck with Gilroy and all of them to tell the tale. There's a big but, though. The yep. writer's strike. Yep. Tony Gilroy can't do anything because he's a writer slash showrunner. Yep. So this the the show is like have been has been halted. So Hollywood needs to figure all that stuff out. And then we can get our content. But like we, what you brought up at the beginning of the podcast is once that content ceases, we're going to hit a threshold where we're not getting new stuff. And then we could possibly catch up on all the stuff we have missed. Yep. But we're not going to be getting the same fire hose amount of content that we have been getting. So it's going to be interesting to see how the fandom kind of reacts to all that and what actually happens in, in the whole landscape of of all the media that we get streaming and film. So yeah. and it's unfortunate because you will get some drop off. You will get some people yeah. that aren't interested anymore, but I feel like with Andor, you're going to get a lot of people that will play catch up. That'll say, I never got to watch it. Now's my chance to finally check it out. Like, I think it was even Jeremy Johns who was saying like, he even stopped watching for a while and waited for it to all drop. And then he ended up watching them all later so I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will take their time uh, to get to these longer burn type things and eventually make their way through and enjoy themselves. It's the, the week to week, I think, that was making people uh, a little bit more hesitant because they just didn't want to put that kind of effort and time every week. But I feel like if they have more time to dedicate to it, especially if you got another new to watch, um, you'll get more fans to be able to jump on eventually. But cause we still, we still get people both commenting and showing up for both Andor and Obi-Wan um, that will just randomly comment on our videos. So, you know, there's people that are going back and re-experiencing it, but on their own time, 
versus having to stick with it every single week as people are, you know, like the rest of us that are just constantly, you know, jonesing for it week to week. You know, these people are much more like, oh, I'll put it away. I'll set it aside, ration it out. It's healthier that way. You know, these are the, the, the food planners that, you know, make their lunches for the week and put it away while the rest of us are just going out to eat every single night. But, you know, they're a little bit more time cautious. They, they use their time a little bit more valuable. Um, and so I feel like eventually they'll be able to come in and, and watch it, especially if they know that, you know, people love it and people yeah. did and people hated it too, but you yeah. know, at least the rest of us all seem to really love it. Yeah. It seems the more vocal outspoken seem to have loved it. Um, for me personally, I didn't love it as, um, as much as a lot of Star Wars fans like really, really loved it. I think I liked it to the point almost of loving it because to me, it, man, it just got so, so away, I think from star Wars and the fact that maybe, maybe with the Mandalorian so close, I mean, that feels to me like star Wars, the first two seasons in particular, that they like nailed it so well that with Andor you have no bounty hunters, no Mandalorians, no space wizards. You just have a a drama set in in the time frame before A New Hope, and you've got sprinklings of of Star Wars here and there, and you got introduced to new characters. Fiona Shaw was terrific. Diego Luna, of course, was fantastic. The new droid B2 Emo was great, but it was very dark, very dystopian, very much on the outer rim, pun intended, territory of of traditional Star Wars uh, storytelling that, yeah, I, I, I might have to rewatch it. But there, there were so many great callbacks, too, um, that, yeah, I mean, it was it was difficult sometimes, I think, for me to to di- digest it as Star Wars because it got pretty heavy at some moments kind of hard to explain but no i get uh, it i could see it yeah so there's a soka news that we were talking about before we podcasted that uh there was multiple articles ran but um we don't there's nothing on the internet that kind of confirms all these stories so the story goes there was an, an essence festival happening and there was going to be new ahsoka news or a new Ahsoka footage dropped. And it's been a weekend. Uh, the weekend has passed where today is the 4th of July and no footage has shown up anywhere that I've seen. Um, this article also comes from Bestman Bulletin. Uh, Star Wars Ahsoka footage to debut this weekend, which was a weekend that was passed. This article was posted on June 27th. Uh, the article states, Disney have announced that a new special look at the upcoming Ahsoka series is set to debut sometime this weekend during the essence fest primetime um though the walt disney company has confirmed that the soka series will be present at the essence fest along with various other projects including haunted mansion a disney movie due to be be released uh, next month led by ahsoka tano herself rosario dawson the company has not provided a date and time that the special look will be shown uh all we know is that the time is the footage will air sometime between 7 p.m and 11 59 p.m central on either Saturday or Sunday, which was this past weekend uh, during the Disney's virtual showcase. Um, 
We don't know uh, what Disney have in store in regards to Ahsoka footage, but I'm sure many fans are hoping and speculating about a possible official trailer release following April's teaser. That would be the best outcome, but I'm personally lowering my expectations. Uh, they're leaning more towards a behind-the-scenes sizzle reel of sorts as Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy previously unveiled behind-the-scenes footage of Ahsoka at Disney Upfront event last month with the footage being shown to those exclusively in the room. It's not unlike Disney to reuse footage used for other events and outings. Back in December 2020, Disney showcased a sizzle reel for Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, which features pieces of concept art and footage of Hugh McGregor and Deborah Chow discussing the series at their shareholder meeting, which was available to the public, but that reel was held back. Uh, it was later released publicly on Disney Plus Day in September 20, uh, 2021 on Disney streaming service. Um, so uh, their opinion is that uh, they're expecting the uh, behind-the-scenes sizzle reel is what I kind of uh, interpreted from all these articles. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a lot, but uh, it looks like something was released. Uh, it's, there's just nothing on the internet describing it, uh, showing any type of uh, footage that anyone took, but uh, the Ahsoka series is nigh. It's going to drop. At the end of August, we are on July 4th right now. So it's uh, it's right around the corner. Everyone's going to be talking about it. And it's essentially going to be a continuation of the Rebels animated show, which you can watch all the episodes on Disney+. Plus. Um, you're going to have Ahsoka. You're going to have Hera. You're going to have Sabine all play major roles. Um, there, We saw Ezra in the trailer. Of course, we're going to see Grand Admiral Thrawn played by Lars Mikkelsen. And all live action, eight episodes. And according to reports, all these episodes are actually longer than the typical 35 to 45 minute Mandalorian episodes. They're all going to be about an hour, which is um, the report that's out there. Not sure about that. Hopefully that is the case. But Robert, how hyped are you for the this Ahsoka series starring Rosario Dawson? Part of me is happy that they're going to be like an hour long episodes, but then the editor inside me is not happy because we have to stay up to like one in the morning to film. And then we have to stay up even longer to edit. And then by the time I get it up, it's like six, seven in the morning. So not looking forward to that, especially when the episodes are longer. However, you kidding? Like we're going through rebels again right now. I think we're on like season mid season three, three or four season three. So yeah, I mean it's I it's it's crazy that we get to see a conclusion to an animated series. Now, granted, with the Clone Wars, you saw the conclusion first before you even got into the actual Clone Wars series. So we already knew where everybody was in live action. So it's amazing that we get to be able to go and experience these characters in a, well, in a live action format, and two in a way that gives us even more conclusion as to what they've been up to in the cinematic universe even though it's a series but a cinematic universe of star wars uh that could end up leading to a big felony verse showdown so i'm super excited for it the biggest thing that i'm i'm both excited and sad to see as well as ray stevenson's character i i i'm heartbroken absolutely 
heartbroken over the fact that we ended up losing him before he even got to see the success of this actual series. Because just from that trailer, man, as with the, one of the standouts was the grizzled Je dark Jedi Santa. Like everybody loved his look. And I, as fans of Ray Stevenson already, for anybody yeah. that didn't know who Ray Stevenson was, they would have learned and they would have gotten to experience him. Just his voice. I mean, if you've seen RRR, you know how incredible he was as the villain there. So um, it's just, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's, it's a joy to be able to get to see him do a character like that. And I'm just, it's sad that, you know, no matter what happens in the series, we won't get to see him carry on uh, as the actor, or as the, as that character. But that's what I'm super looking forward to. I want to see the dark side of Star Wars. I want to see whoever these characters are. I want to see Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know, growing up, listening uh, to the post-trilogy, the actual Timothy Zahn trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy, the OG Thrawn trilogy. Um, like, that is amazing. Like, this has been a life, almost a lifelong wait to see Thrawn enter the chat, enter the fray, and get his hands dirty in the cinematic universe of Star Wars. So absolutely, I'm super stoked for Ahsoka. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we're all hyped for it. We're going to do a pre-show and post-show like we usually do. Um, I believe Craig, uh, when I visited Colin in Orlando, he joined us for a day at uh, Disney World. And uh, we actually went to uh, Oga's Canteen. I got a picture here of us celebrating. It was just his birthday uh, yesterday, I believe. So yeah, happy birthday to Craig. But yeah, we're going to be doing pre-shows and post-shows before Ahsoka. Uh, reaction to every episode so uh, look out for that on uh, youtube and uh, everywhere else you're watching us um, but yeah it's it's gonna be sad in a way uh, if we do see um, it, it's sad anyways it, any way you cut it for ray stevenson's uh, untimely passing but if you see the behind the scenes posts that they made when he passed away it seemed like rosario and um Natasha and and Ray were like really truly bonding offset and they were hanging out together and that's what you want to see you want to see that chemistry you want to see your cast hanging out and it feels like it's going to be an incredible show it, it's it's a show that we've been asking for and it's Dave Filoni's baby Ahsoka Tano is his character he developed her with George Lucas got George Lucas's approval and it's going to be the culmination of a lot of years, decades almost. Um, so yeah, we're, we're all hyped here at the podcast and I think it's really the popularity. I think of Ahsoka really, really got uh, to the point where she is one of the most popular characters. Uh, when we went to Star Wars Celebration in London, one of the more popular cosplays was Ahsoka Tano. And, and her cosplay is not easy to do. You have to paint your face. You have to buy the head tells. Uh, and you have to buy uh, the, the appropriate wardrobe. And the lightsabers as well. That stuff is not cheap. And it's, um, it's incredible that we're here at this time. We're going to get Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action finally. Everyone's cast. It's in the can. It, we're just kind of waiting now to watch this series and it feels like it has the opportunity to be glorious and uh, can't wait to see it. And 
we're getting closer. We're in July. It's next month, August, end of August. And we have a, a finite date. I believe it's August 26th. Previously, it was it was advertised as the last day of August, but it's going to drop on Wednesday. So Disney Plus shows for Star Wars going to keep that that day and date. So yeah, well, they should obviously, and we've said it before, they need to move it to a prime time slot so more people can experience it all together at the same time. Like on HBO Max, when all the HBO shows would drop, you get them online. That would get so much more of a buzz around it as soon as it drops. And people would have an ability to watch it so they don't get spoiled overnight when they wake up and Twitter immediately spoils it for them. So, yeah, I mean, again, another lesson that they need to learn that I just don't understand why they don't. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. and Preaching yeah. to the choir, I know. But maybe if we keep saying it, we put it out <laughs> into existence. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. We need to keep saying it on the podcast so they can actually do uh, it. Get do reaffirmed it. and <laughs> do it. And actually, yeah, it, it, yeah, actually do what other streaming services like HBO Max, now called Max, does with like The Last of Us. They show it at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., wherever you're at. It's in prime time. We can all watch it. We can all discuss it afterwards at a decent time, react to it, edit our posts, and get the stuff out there. Yep. Give the people what they want. Yep. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but that's just another one of the things that we're going to have to deal with. We have no control over other than creating content and saying, hey, look, this is the way it probably should be. Yep. So that's what we're doing. So there's another one last story I want to talk about here. And it's really interesting because... Looking back at The Mandalorian Season 3, people said, well, we never got to see Pedro Pascal's face. Um, it felt like Bo-Katan, played by Katie Sackhoff, had or was essentially the main character of the show. And people started questioning, okay, well, the show's called The Mandalorian. Is this going to be always about Din Djarin and Grogu? Or is someone going to be able to take that mantle on like a Bo-Katan, which she kind of, in a way, I mean, she was maybe like a co-main character. I mean, you got to see her face pretty much the whole time in the show. And of course, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that she will be at the Comic-Con and Car Show that's happening this weekend that James and I will be attending. Hopefully we can meet her um, aside from the photo op signature portion of the show and really talk to her. But, there's an article um, stating that Pedro Pascal supports Bo-Katan Kryze becoming the lead in Star Wars uh, The Mandalorian, which is also another article from Bestman Bulletin, uh, which I'll read a little bit of here. Um, it states, during an in-depth interview with Variety, the topic of The Mandalorian was brought up by the outlet with the interview discussing Lucasfilm and Disney campaigning for Katie Sackhoff as the lead of The Mandalorian Season 3 on the awards circuit. The interviewer asked Pascal who's been the first build star of the series since it released in 2019, how how he feels about that. Uh, with his character, Din Djarin, sharing the spotlight with Sackhoff's Bo-Katan Kreese, with Pascal himself being relegated to just voice work this season due to his hectic schedule. And that was confirmed that he was really never on set. He just did the voice. Uh, Pascal uh, champions Bo-Katan taking center stage in the Mandalorian's third season, telling Variety that as a fan of the Bo-Katan character and of Dave Filoni's animated series, Star Wars The Clone Wars, it's what he wants for that character. You can read Pascal's full quote below. 
Pedro Pascal says, uh, View Variety, it was great in that it also comes into a full uh, realization of a beloved character that is from the world of Dave Filoni in, you know, Bo-Katan. Din Djarin is a creation that starts with the combining of the worlds of Star Wars, John Favreau, and Dave Filoni introducing the character through live action. The Mandalorian and then creating the opportunities of pulling references and live action characters from his Dave Filoni's beloved animated series. Sure, we everyone gets uh, to kind of experience the excitement of the character, Bogatan, being introduced, and she's badass. And it's perfect casting. I'm a big Battlestar Galactica fanboy. I own the DVDs. I still can't think of anyone that has a better intro than Battlestar Galactica. Just the thrill of that drum beat and showing you what's going to happen, but throwing your scent off of what was going to happen in the episode. I remember Dave Filoni talking to me about the possibility of casting the voice character in the Bo-Katan role, and I was like, Katie Sackhoff? You gotta do it. And so anyway, I think it was perfect that we get to meet and see the character, and she gets to do all this cool shit in the second season, and then take center stage in the third and that's what I would want for the character and as a fan of the Clone Wars. That's Pedro Pascal's quote via Variety. So, how do you feel about Katie Sackhoff's emergence in The Mandalorian Season 3, Robert? Well, I mean, Pedro Pascal, I think you said what he's, he's just been now reduced to voiceover work for The Mandalorian. And if you look at it, man, Katie Sackhoff has been reduced to voiceover work the entire run of her role uh, as Bo-Katan. She's been voiceover work for years already. So it's not like she hasn't already put in the work voice wise to get in there. And so now they just get to swap. So she gets to yeah. kind of tag in and get to be on the set for a while. And the way I see Pedro Pascal approaching it is of course he was excited. Of course he loves being Din Djarin. He loved being on the sets. He loved being the Mandalorian. And the thing is, the amount the through that amount of time that he's been the Mandalorian, he has found incredible skyrocketing success in, you know, just being an actor. So, of course, he got. I feel like he's gotten his fill. He's gotten what he needed to get out of it, just to scratch that itch and be in there and be in part of Star Wars, even though he wasn't the guy in the suit for majority of the time, anyways. So I feel like he did get to have his fun, kind of cake and eat it too, because now he gets to still get the paycheck. He still gets to do the VO. He doesn't have to go and do the grueling shooting schedules. Uh, and then he can go off and do the other things that are creating these other universes that are going to be incredibly lucrative and profitable for him. And we know nothing lasts forever. So maybe in his mind, most shows will last, you know, four to six seasons, essentially, if they're successful. You could keep it going like Always Sunny or The Simpsons, but you probably shouldn't. So he knows that it's probably got a limited lifespan, and that's how a lot of these actors should be thinking. And I feel like he's thinking it that way to where he got three seasons, and if he ends up being an even more limited role in the next one, that's okay for him because he's got The Last of Us that he's working on. He's got plenty of other things that he's probably got coming out. And so I feel like he's okay mentally to be able to walk away. And if he looks at it as somebody who he admires he's a fan of also saw that kind of i would say not so much a rough patch but katie sackoff was absent visually from you know 
live action stuff for quite a while. She did have Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, she was cast in Riddick, but that other show she did on Netflix ended up getting canceled. And so she's looking for some success as well. She's an amazing person. If you have either met her, met her or watched any of the stuff that she's done as a person, just podcasts yeah. and stuff. She's got blah, blah, blah right now, which is her newest podcast. Check it out on Katie Sackhoff's channel on YouTube. Um, but she's an incredible person that deserves the success. So I feel like as an actor and as an amazing person, Pedro Pascal seems to be, I would think that he would absolutely adore her to kind of step in and take over and put the baby in her hands, literally Grogu, and let her be able to live in the, the spotlight a while and see the success. And it just, it makes sense in terms of what the Mandalorian as a title means. Uh, even though everybody's like, oh, it's the Mandalorian, but then Jaren's not in it. It's not Mandalorian as just him. Yes, maybe it was because he was the only one we saw in the beginning. But it's the Mandalorian as a plural, as a people, as a culture, as a whole. And it just makes the most sense that it would be revolving around other people. That's why for us, we never saw why people were getting so upset that it was solely based at, at times felt like it was just focusing on Bo-Katan. It's like, well, did you watch the Clone Wars? Because Bo-Katan's been a part of it for a long time before Pedro Pascal and Din Djarin. And the Mandalorian has a very huge lore that we kind of need to get some more info on. So, yeah, I just think that it makes sense that she would kind of be at the forefront a little bit, but I genuinely feel like it's just for now. I feel like it's her taking the reins, taking the workload off of him, which is cool because he's doing a lot right now. And it's a cool thing for them to be able to allow him to go do other stuff. Cause how many artists do you hear drop out of projects because they won't let them go and do this over here. You know, poor Michael J. Fox broke, broke his back just trying to be on, back to the future and family ties at the same exact yeah. time because they weren't able to accommodate what he wanted to do, but he did it. And I feel like if they are able, if the studio is able to make it work for the actor to become successful and become a star, the he'll pay it back. He'll absolutely come back when they need him for the big Filoni event that eventually more than likely will happen that involves all of them. And you better believe his mask may be coming off. They're probably going to kill him in that one. But, you know, the fact mm. that you're not going to make it feel like a drag on some of these actors to the point that they don't, don't want to come back. And I think that the way they're approaching it with Pedro, even though we did hear a little anim animosity may have taken place in season yeah. three and they went over and figured out a way to make it work. So I think that, you know, by doing that, they've appeased him and that he's got no problem. Let somebody else step in while he goes and becomes a superstar, you know, doing all the other stuff that he's doing. And then eventually he'll come back. So it's okay. People need to calm down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pedro Pascal has become such a huge star now, and him having the Mandalorian gig is like a super sweet deal for him. All he has to do is record his lines, not even have to show it physically. And now we get Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne credited as being the two guys in the suits. And you have Brendan Wayne with his kind of like Mando Dinjarin strut that you see on screen that we're all familiar with. And then Latif does all the really physical. Uh, technical stunts on set and they've um, 
I know Latif has been a stuntman uh, for many other projects, and he met Pedro Pascal on the set of um, what was the movie they filmed together? Um, I don't even know. Kingsman. Yeah, Kingsman. Kingsman. Golden Circle. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and he talks about him so glowingly and is so appreciative that he is the guy in the suit. And uh, as a person that fo- has been following Katie Sackhoff's career, um, it feels like she's been so close to get that big leading role that she's just been like top three in so many big projects and has, has not made the cut. But then when the Mandalorian came around, I mean, she did the voice, like you mentioned for Bo-Katan in Clone Wars and Rebels that she talks about the story. She, I think she's talked about it on her podcast, her new pl- uh, podcast, uh, blah, 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 where she approached Dave Filoni at the 2019 celebration in Chicago and said, Hey, um, live action, Bo-Katan in the future. Um, and Filoni was just like, well, you never know. And um, they had her in mind the whole time, which is fantastic. I love it when Star Wars does that. When Star Wars will take the voice actor, bring him into live action. And that synergy is something I always uh, love and respect that they do. And I think Katie Sackhoff has proven herself as an actress to have the chops to do other projects and continue on in Star Wars. Right now, it feels like to me that Katie Sackhoff is pretty much the face of Star Wars right now. I mean, the literal face. And hopefully, I will get this helmet signed back here this weekend, um, actually on Sunday. And um, I'll just add it to my collection. I actually got to meet her in 2021 at Comic Palooza in Houston. And uh, it was during like the whole like um, social distancing and all that. So I really didn't get a chance to talk to her in depth and, and kind of uh, interview her at all or anything like that for the podcast. But yeah, hopefully uh, it's it's different this time around. And she, I know she's doing a big panel with Ted from Countdown City Geek Cast, and um, I'm super excited. And of course, she has her podcast going. She wants to talk, so um, we're here to talk to her if she wants to. And it's so, not like she hasn't proven herself already in being able to, like, <laughs> you know, hold on to a very popular character in a very big franchise. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the girl has proven herself. Uh, for quite some time so she deserves it and if she's lead that's fine and the fact that people were complaining too about pedro not being there and not being on the set it's like david prowse james earl jones are you kidding me like come on like there's president doing that they've been doing that since the get-go ain't nothing new yeah and also you mentioned uh one of her series on netflix uh there's a series there's a couple series she did uh one called longmire uh, which I think was on TV. I need to check it, that out. Yeah, it had a huge following, and there's actually a Longmire festival that takes place, I think, in Wyoming, where they base the show out of, and it's a big like weekend event. And Katie will fly out there along with the other actors and do signings and appearances and panels there. And uh, it's a, it's a very Western show. It, it dropped before um, the real popular Taylor Sheridan show that's out right now. What's it called? Uh, with the, Kevin Costner. Uh, yeah, the what's it called? It's like they they've got like the spin-offs 1927. What's Yeah, with Harrison uh, Ford. Yellowstone. Yellowstone, yeah. Yellowstone. I forgot the name. Yeah. So, so did yeah, she's done that it. and then she did a sp- uh, a specific Netflix series called um 
something to do with life, another life or second life or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's, another she's been life. working another life. Okay. Yeah. Extra life is something else. I think, I think that's like yeah. a video game or something. Um, I wanted to watch Longmire because Lou Diamond Phillips was in it. I love Lou Diamond. Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. Richie yeah. Valens from uh, yeah. La Bamba. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to hopefully uh, talk to Katie and Ming-Na this weekend. And also Barry Lowen, who's also been in the suit uh, for The Mandalorian, will be in San Antonio this weekend for the Comic-Con and Car Show. So yeah, um, we've got stuff lined up for that. And um, speaking of The Mandalorian, uh, hopefully tomorrow night we will actually be interviewing uh, Tate Fletcher, who played... Paz Vizsla in season three of the Mandalorian. Nice. Um, we all know that Favreau voiced uh, Paz in the first two seasons, but Tate Fletcher was, I believe was always in the suit. And in season three, he did voice Paz Vizsla, which very much sounds like John Favreau still. <laughs> it's <laughs> incredible that the voices aligned in a way to where it, it totally fooled me. But there are so many articles and people kept on telling me, no, 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 it's Tate Fletcher doing the voice. So hopefully we'll talk to him about that and uh, have him kind of clear up everything uh, once and for all. And uh, yeah, we should be able to talk to him tomorrow. And it's going to be me, Colin, and uh, Retro Ray from Countdown City Geekcast. And it uh, should be a lot of fun. It's exciting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also just want to reiterate this weekend is the Thomas J. Henry Comic-Con and Car Show. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring up the website here so everyone can kind of see. Tickets are still available. If you look at the screen here, there's a lot of celebrities showing up. This this Comic-Con gets bigger and bigger every single year. Um, so in previous years, they had Jason Momoa, they had Amber Heard, they had Ben Affleck uh, during the whole DC kind of run that they were doing. Last year, of course, they had Ewan McGregor. Um, I was able to get another picture with him, another autograph. And he had a big panel at the Freeman Coliseum. This year, you can see on the screen, Amelia Clark, who is Kira in Solo, Katie Sackhoff, of course, Ming Na Wen, and also Andrew Garfield, Elizabeth Olsen, Brie Larson, Haley Steinfeld, who is Spider-Gwen and uh, Into the Spider-Verse, uh, are all going to be there. If you look at the bottom there, you can see a few people, Felicia Day. Most of these people are going to have panels. Alakwa, uh, Alakwa Cox from uh, Echo is going to be there. Tony Parker. Uh, legendary Spurs player. Um, and yeah, um, a lot of stuff happening. Um, this is going to be a big show for us. And hopefully um, people that are listening to the show here can can attend the Comic-Con. I know a lot of people are flying out. There's going to be a big meetup uh, next to the Alamo of all places at a hotel that um, is one of the bigger uh, Star Wars celebration groups on Facebook. So you might see me there if you're listening to this. Um, and also, if you listen to the podcast, like I said, I'll be at the Countdown City Geekcast booth. Uh, our backdrop will look a little like this. Uh, we're in association with the Countdown City Wrestlecast, the Legacy of Nerd, uh, General Kenobi's Bunker, and the Ghost Heads Radio. All stuff that kind of intersects with what uh, our fandoms are and uh, presented by Real Retro. And um, yeah, check us out this weekend. And we'll probably be putting stuff on social media as the weekend goes. And um yeah, just look out for us. And uh, I think that's it for this podcast. Um, I want to say a special thank you to Robert from Late to the Party joining me on this podcast. We're very thankful that you're healthy and back at it, reacting to stuff. Um, 
thanks. I'm yeah. I, I just can't say enough how happy that I am that uh, you've you've recovered and that you're doing better, and that you're uh, doing the thing that we love to to see you do is react stuff. And um, like I said, you always pop up on my feed. I'm always looking forward to when a new film or new show drops. I'm like, well, what does what does Robert and Vanessa have to say? So Appreciate yeah. It. Yeah, if you want to um, say where they can find you, I know, of course, it's late to the party on YouTube, but uh, is there any other like social media handles you want to plug here? I mean, look for Better Late Than Never is our retro reaction movie series that we do on our YouTube channel, Late to the Party. We're going through movies of the past that we have never seen. Either one of us or both of us hasn't seen. We've got Misery coming up this coming uh, Throwback Thursday. And then we did uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish last week. Uh, Blues Brothers, Rocky Horror Picture Show, all these movies, these classic films that people love from their past that we've never seen. And we're watching them for the first time on our channel. So you can come experience those movies with us for our first time uh, at on Better Late Than Never on Late to the Party. But yeah, check that out. Other than that, Late to the Party everywhere. Awesome. And like I said, I've been watching them for years now it seems like and they're one of the better reactors if not the best um, but also right. do want to mention before we go uh we did if, if you're following us on star wars stuff uh on instagram here uh star wars stuff podcast um colin did announce that we have some new co-hosts that will be joining us and they've been on the podcast before they've been reviewing um clone wars on patreon and also um they they reviewed the bad batch did commentary on those and they were we were dropping wednesday shows with them it's star cap christian hunter and josh they're going to be joining us in whatever capacity they can they're awesome cosplayers uh you'll see them on the show possibly later on this week colin just moved from florida to michigan back to michigan and he has this crazy studio that he designed and um he can't wait to show it off i think it's going to be tomorrow night with the tate fletcher interview so um yeah, look forward to that and uh, look forward to the new hosts uh, joining the podcast and uh, uploading more content to Patreon, uh, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook. And um, yeah, just be on the lookout for our stuff. And it's an exciting future for the podcast. And um, thank you so much. I can't say thank you enough, Robert, for, for joining us. And Always um, a pleasure. Yeah. And. I just want to tell everyone, may the force be with you. Happy 4th of July. And we will catch you next time. Bye. This is the way. <laughs>